Evening, everyone. It's, uh, it's so good to be together, isn't it? And uh, if you are new to the city, I just want to say a massive warm welcome to you. Um, what a brilliant time uh, this is in your life as the, the purposes of God kind of uh, outwent, outwork themselves through you as you meet new people, as you get settled in one of the many excellent churches uh, here in the city. Loads of opportunities to uh, live for Jesus, share your faith. And um, I, I pray God's blessing over you um, in your time here. Um, we, um, we're taking a break, actually, from, from the series um, that, that we are in at the moment, um, which is uh, looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, as the Bible talks about them in, uh, in the Bible, in a book called 1 Corinthians, chapter 12 through to 14. Um, we're only actually one week in, and we're taking a break already. So anyone write essays like that? You know, like, I've been going for an hour, I need a break, you know, serious kind of time out of this. Well, one week in, we're taking a break. And, and that is simply because uh, tonight is, is kicking off our week uh, that we are calling Deeper, um, a week of prayer and fasting. And um, the, the Bible's prioritizing uh, of a life of prayer to stop and to pray and to seek God uh, is a real challenge to, to our culture, obsessed as it is with efficiency and output and go, go, go. And uh, so we, we do this three times a year. Uh, we cancel our home groups, which uh, other than that would, would meet uh, each week all around the city. Uh, we cancel lots of the ministries, etc., and set time aside just to, to seek God. Uh, and um, we've, we've got a little bit of an agenda this, uh, th- uh, this week. Or not an agenda, actually. That's the point. We don't have an agenda. That was a poorly chosen word. Rewind. We have no agenda this week. <laughs> but we do have a timetable. So let's have the timetable come up on the screen. This is simply to facilitate us having no agenda and being open uh, to how the Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Just to say, if you've been in these things before, you'll probably be used to things happening in the evening, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But actually, throughout the day, we just wanted to really open up opportunities to pray. And so uh, uh, the graphics team have produced some resources uh, just like this. It'll be on your seats. Um, But also, this building is going to be open, and we want to make some space here for you to come and to seek God. Um, So you you can see during the daytimes, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, there'll be uh, an open time here. Um, Early evening... um, some acoustic worship, so very kind of low level, um, and um, just chance to kind of come and, and be with God. And then our main sessions will, will kick off Tuesday with our worship nights, uh, and then Wednesday and Thursday we're going to see uh, what God wants to do with those. And um, we, we'd also love to invite you to, to join us in, in uh, considering fasting uh, for some or all of uh, those three days. And that might throw all sorts of questions. You might never have heard of the concept of fasting. Um, it's in the Bible. The Bible has a few things to say about it. But it might be that you've got lots of questions that you want to ask. And on the way out, you should be able to pick up from the, um, uh, the, the white kind of surface, it's just by the, uh, the exit, um, a fasting booklet, which will begin to kind of explore some of the questions. It might be that actually to medical issues, you're not able to uh, be part of that, and that is absolutely fine. Maybe there's other things that uh, God wants you just to lay to one side um, to kind of focus your, your eyes and your, your gaze upon him this week. Um, I invite you to, uh, to, to join in with some of that. But we, we do these things regularly, and yet this time there feels like there is a wonderful sense of the purpose of God, more so than we have ever felt before. And that is why we're calling the week Deeper. And it's stemming from uh, a number of prophetic words. So things that, that um, people in the church have felt God say uh, to them for the church uh, about an invitation that our God wants to give to us, an invitation to intimacy with him. 
And along with that, a simple encouragement to continue to do the simple things well. So an invitation to intimacy and encouragement to keep doing the simple things well. And that's why this week is, is called Deeper. Um, because we are going to go deeper with God. We're going to do the simple things well. We're going to stop. We're going to pray. We're going to seek his face. We're going to see how he wants to speak to us, how he wants to change to us. And um, that's what I want to speak into tonight. Just the, the very kind of uh, start of that. And um, th- this message began actually in, um, in a men's prayer context uh, where uh, one of the guys, uh, his name's John, uh, he leads our Grace Church FC team and our kids' inclusion team. Um, he, he brought a prophetic word r- reminding us of the story from the Bible of Mary and Martha. Now, just to give a bit of context, this is a men's prayer meeting, Tuesday, 7 a.m., and the sorts of prophecies that often come in this time are about warfare and kind of military conquests and sort of destructive things like floods and weapons and fire. And so when someone says, lads, I just feel like the Lord wants to speak to us about the story of Mary and Martha, you take note. It's, it's unusual in that context. And yet, it's in the scriptures, and it was a really wonderful prophetic word that called us as a church to get our priorities right by first and foremost coming to sit at the feet of Jesus and from that place engage in his mission. And that's, so that's what we're going to be looking into tonight. I, I do genuinely believe that tonight God wants to start something in us that he's going to be doing in this week that we would just come and sit at his feet, gaze afresh about him, that we would be wowed all over again about who he is and how he has transformed us to be new creations in him. So we're going to use that story tonight, uh, Luke chapter 10. You've got a Bible, do uh, turn there. Um, The words are going to come up on the screen, uh, if not. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, and I'm reading from the NIV. Here's what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's just pray together. Father, we, we, we see in this story the beauty of Jesus coming right into the midst of a household and we are wowed and amazed that for those of us that know you, we can testify to the fact that you have come right into the midst of the household of our hearts and dwelt with us. And we pray that you would start something in us tonight of a fresh desire to go deeper with you, to not be scurrying around trying to do the stuff without firstly coming to sit at your feet, to gaze upon your beauty all the days of our life. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Well, as you read this story, one of the questions that arises is, to what extent can you be harsh about Martha? We were chatting about this um, in the office uh, this week, about kind of, does Martha come out of this story well, or sort of how does Jesus see her? And uh, Rosie, who just introduced the last section, pointed out that you, you really know when Jesus is speaking harshly to someone. And that's, that's not the case in this story. Jesus absolutely loves Martha, the one who is doing all this scurrying around. Nonetheless, her example in this story is set up in contrast to that of her sister Mary. Because where Mary was dependent, Martha was distracted. Where Mary was looking at Jesus, Martha was looking at her to-do list. Now Martha was an incredibly gifted woman. She was a wonderful host. The story tells us that that she was the one who had invited Jesus uh, into their home. She was an initiator. She was a leader. She loved her family. She loved Jesus. There is so much that is is good about her. And, And even what she was doing here was not a bad thing in and of itself. But she'd lost a little bit of perspective It's almost like, Martha, Martha, Jesus is here. What are you doing running around? Don't miss the moment. And it's like the mom who's doing so much preparation uh, on Christmas Day for the pudding that she misses Christmas dinner itself because she's off kind of scurrying around. And without realizing it, Martha's focus had started to drift. She started to get resentful to those that she loved. And suddenly, as, as one uh, preacher I heard on this passage puts it, it was as though a meter had started running in her head. She was keeping a record. And she was lashing out, not, not just towards Mary, but even towards Jesus himself. It says in second half of verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And yet we can all identify with Martha. Lord, I just feel a bit distracted right now. It hasn't really been the time to to sit at your feet. I've been trying so hard to serve you. I've been serving in church, serving my family, serving my friends, telling them about you. I know that my living for you began in love and devotion, but things just seem so stressful right now. I don't feel I can cope right now. Or maybe it's, uh, Lord, I'm using my gifting, but it doesn't seem like those around me are pulling their weight, and, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. When does this situation change, Lord? She was serving Jesus, but she'd forgotten who she was, and she'd forgotten who was with her. I wonder, what is the root of Martha's behavior. Well, it looks like what now the New Testament scriptures have been completed, we now know to call an orphan heart. An orphan heart. That is a a heart attitude that, uh, like a child, a small child who no longer has a, a parent living, lives as though there's no one who will take care of you. Living as though there's no one who will provide for you, no one who can be your fallback. 
No one who can give you that, that unconditional love. No one who can create that safe environment for you to thrive. That's an orphan heart. We see it in Martha's self-reliance. She's so consumed by working for Jesus that she forgets Jesus himself. She has that I must make this happen attitude. The implication, of course, being that, well, because there's no one else who will do it, there's no one else to rely on. And it led to the crowding out of her sitting at the feet of Jesus. We see it in her self-reliance, but we see it in her victim mentality too. It's not fair. I've done all this work. Look at me in my circumstances. There's no one to help me. And she lashes out. We see it also in her busying herself to cover the whole thing up. And how sad that it's as though she feels she can't admit what is really going on to anyone. You see, it appeared on the surface like Martha was getting lots done. It appeared like she was going full throttle. But underneath, Jesus knew, as it says in verse 41, that she wasn't just worried, but she was upset about many things. You see, this orphan-hearted attitude was getting to her. And she was coming up short. And she knew it. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. But the point of what he's saying is that it is possible to live with an orphan attitude. Jesus is saying, I won't leave you as orphans. Here's what I will do. But you can still choose to live in your old identity. It is possible to live as though there is no father who deeply loves you and cares for you and has your back and provides for your every need. It is possible to try and sort it all out yourself, to be self-reliant, to try and accomplish many things. But what is Jesus' promise? That the Holy Spirit will testify to our hearts that we are children of God that we have a good, heavenly, perfect Father who loves to give good gifts to our children, to his children. And if we on earth can know anything of how to treat others well, how to treat children well, how much more our heavenly Father who says that we are to fear not because it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom that he promises that he will never leave us and never forsake us. Do you know, a couple of months back, I, um, I, began, I began myself some, some leadership coaching with someone that I respect deeply in, in the church. His name is Will, and um, I love the way that he leads. I love his measure of leadership, and I wanted to learn from him. And so we set up the first meeting, and um, I thought that at that meeting... Um, it was going to be all about um, leadership style, kind of learning theory models, kind of strategic decisions. And just ahead of that, I sent him a quick bit about what I felt God was, uh, was doing uh, in me personally, just to give him a bit of context. And what happened in the next hour 
was that all sorts of orphan-hearted behaviors began to be unveiled in my life. Things that were below the surface just suddenly started to get exposed by the Holy Spirit as he worked through will. Deep self-reliance. Wanting to be in control and therefore always feeling out of control. Being so tied into my opinion, what I thought about things, that if others thought differently, just not being able to know how to process that. And it won't surprise you to know that it, it left some deep insecurities about my role on teams, about how I came across, even about my job security. Not because there's anything bad about the culture of working on staff here, it's absolutely brilliant, but simply because a lie of the enemy had got into my heart and I was starting to believe all sorts of lies. I was trying to carry burdens that God had not called me to carry alone. And it led to overworking, and it led to striving, led to scurrying, led to martyrism. And as I began to process and pray some of this through with, with Ben, who, who leads the church, um, he just kind of challenged me on um, my, my identity in Jesus. And I had a week's holiday the following day, and um, so I went off. And, and on the holiday, um, began to read a book about how one church defines um, their uh, cultural values in their church, open it up, and say, value number one, God is good. We believe that God is good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, know that one. And yet suddenly I realized in myself, I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is in control of all things. I know I can submit my life to him. He's utterly in charge of everything. But do I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that he is good, that he will bless me? that good things will happen to me because of who he is. And all sorts of orphan-hearted behaviors began to rear their head as the Spirit began to reveal that I had been living with an orphan heart, that I had forgotten, first and foremost, that I'm a son, a blood-bought son of the Most High God who loves me, who's for me, who will bless me, who will provide for me, that I will not miss out on things if I choose to trust him rather than try and make it happen myself. Because he's a good, good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. I'm, um, I'm a dad, we've got two, uh, two kids, and um, my little girl Lizzie, uh, is uh, two and a half, and uh, I thought I'd show you a picture because I'm about to tell a story. Here she is, just for a little light relief moment. There you go. She just started preschool, and uh, it's a whole lot of fun. And uh, do you know, as, as I just began to kind of process so, some of this stuff that I felt God was doing in me, I feel that God has started to show me some new things about the way that she is. Now, Lizzie being two and a half, she has so much on her to-do list each day that she is not able to accomplish by herself. Task number one, get out the cut. Thankfully, she cannot do that yet. She has tried, she fell on her head, and has not done it since. <laughs> Task number two, 
take her nappy off. She's in kind of pull-ups, and um, so she was trying to get that out, uh, uh, off the other day. She was lying on her back. She, uh, I'd kind of ripped the sides just to help her a little bit. She pulled it as hard as she could. It flung up straight on her face. <laughs> she doesn't know that's bad, so there you go. Can she do that? No. Task number three, make breakfast. We have tried. It all ended up on the floor. Task number four, learn the harvest samba. Now, if you're a primary school teacher, you will be able to identify with this. And if any of you YouTube it later, I'm so sorry for what is about to happen in your life. Because it is the most annoying, frustrating, but catchy song about harvest that just stays in your mind, involving two guys and, and a lady dressed as two carrots and a banana that look about as pleased to be there as I am about this song. <laughs> and yet, it's so frustrating. But can Lizzie do that? Can she load YouTube? No, thankfully, she cannot. Task number five. Drive to fun place, go to preschool, whatever it might do. But you know, the whole point is that she, she can't do it all by herself because she's not meant to. She's not meant to live as an orphan. I have to do these things for her because that's what a good, loving father does. And if that's my experience, how much more with God? Because the last I heard, we were meant to come with childlike hearts, with childlike dependency. Do you know, it strikes me that if my daughter Lizzie was ever to ask the question, will my daddy provide for me today? I would think, what a stupid question that is. Because of course I would because she's my daughter, because I love her to bits. And yet, don't so many of us think like that with God? Will my Father provide for me today? I'm not sure. I better do some striving. Can I come and sit at his feet? No, I've not got time to. I better get on with things to do. Do you know, I am not through on this issue by any stretch. The, the Holy Spirit is still revealing all sorts of things that need to move from my head to my heart. But this week, as we pray and as we seek his face, I, I want to go deeper. And my prayer is let me be amazed by my sonship afresh. I wonder about you. What's your desire this week? Is there any orphan-hearted thinking that has got into you? Any self-reliance? Any martyrisms? But what does Jesus do? How does he respond to Martha's orphan heart? Well, the first thing is that he loves her. He calls her name twice. You might have noticed. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. He's trying to get her attention because when you're full of self-reliance, it can be hard to hear the voice of Jesus sometimes. But the second thing is that he calls her out of that way of thinking. He calls her to come and sit at his feet, just like Mary. You see, for all of our self-reliance, for all of our worries, for all of the, the things that we get upset by, for all of our insecurities, for all of the, the times when we forget who we are or we forget who our Father is, Jesus says, 
Only one thing is needed. And that is to put down our troubles, to put down our tasks, to put down our time scales, and to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus. The wording here echoes the wording of the psalmist in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this alone do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see, what what Mary did in sitting at the feet of Jesus was like a little sister with a big brother, like a child with a father. She cultivated affection with the lover of her soul. And do you know what happened from that place? As she sat, as she listened, as she stopped, as she gazed upon Jesus, it led her to radical action. There's another story in the Bible that chronologically happens after this one in John chapter 12. It's a very similar setting. It's a meal. And Mary takes a jar of very, very expensive perfume called nard, And she cracks this jar and lets this perfume just fall out all over the feet of Jesus. It was so expensive. It was thought to be a a year's wages just in this jar alone. Almost as though she'd anointed Jesus' body for burial. And Jesus was so delighted with this radical act of worship that he said, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told. Radical action But what also happened from this place was that Mary learned dependency. Because here in this story and also in the the Nard incident, Mary gets all sorts of accusations thrown at her. Come on, Mary, why aren't you doing some work? Come and help me. Come on, Mary, why have you wasted that perfume? And yet she feels no need to defend herself because Jesus her great defender, the one who fights her battles, steps in to save her each time. Where self-reliance leads to burn out, flip out, fight it out, going deeper leads to a devotion, a dependency, and a dedication that will not be taken away. Where does courageous action for Jesus come from? It starts from the quiet place. It starts from sitting at his feet, from talking with him. And just to finish off tonight, I want to make space for a a beautiful testimony of uh, of someone who's um, been learning to sit at the feet of Jesus, learning to uh, go deeper. So in a moment, I want you to uh, welcome Chris, who together with his wife, B, leads this meeting. He's going to come and share. Let's give it up for Chris. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited about um, the week that is kind of beginning this evening because it's been something that I feel like I've been living uh, myself for um, a number of months now. And um, I'm just going to take you back to the beginning of this uh, calendar year and kind of take you through the journey. Um, basically, coming into kind of January time, you know, it's always that time where like everyone kind of takes stock of life and like, what am I going to do this year and all that kind of thing. And um, 
I just started realizing and had kind of conversations with B and others in the team of like, I, I, I found myself feeling quite cynical of um, lots that went on in kind of church life. And um, so for reference, so I'm on the staff team here. And as John said, this is an absolute dream place to work. I love what I get to do every single day. But the kind of the always downside of working for the church is that your kind of your spiritual life and well-being kind of gets married into work. And so particularly as like worship pastor, it meant that being in worship on a Sunday, I found very difficult to to just do that and just to worship because I was kind of thinking, okay, like what's technically going on here? How can I develop that person? What do I need to make sure I remember for the meeting tomorrow? And and I just kind of had this moment of realizing like, oh man, like I think I'm just doing lots of stuff and don't feel like my heart is engaging with lots of it. And God is so gracious and so good that even in that place, like he was still using me in all sorts of ways. And so that's just incredibly encouraging, I think, for all of us. Even when we think we're not doing it quite right, like God's grace covers all of that. It's sufficient for us, and he can still use us to whatever ends he wants. Um, but yeah, I just basically kind of got a bit like fed up with myself. And I would kind of have these moments where I'd be discussing stuff and be like, what is wrong with you? Like, what, what happened to 17-year-old Chris when I first got saved? Out, well, not in a kind of a Christian home, and encountered Jesus for the first time, encountered the Spirit for the first time. And like back then, like I just loved worshiping Jesus. And I, I can remember the first time I kind of encountered the Spirit and singing the song Amazing Grace and just was weeping at this realization of what God's grace had done for me, what Christ had done for me. And as then like 27-year-old Chris, I was kind of like, well, 10 years later, I think 17-year-old Chris would just be a bit disappointed with like what I'd become basically, and great that he was working for church, like, well done, but haven't you kind of lost lots of the passion and the heart in it, and um, I then didn't really know what to do about this, so I just was like, well, I'll try and be less cynical, and um, I was like, I'll just think the best of all situations, and um, did that for a while, uh, but B and I had been talking for a long time about, I, I, th I think we, I needed to kind of get out of Grace Church for, for something, just somewhere where I could go, where even if I wanted to get involved, like, I couldn't, because I'd be in a contest with a person be like, who's this guy that's turned up? And it's like, can we turn it down? And be like, no, well, you don't run this church. So I was like, I need to go somewhere, at like a conference, go away to do something. And um, I ended up going to uh, Birmingham for a week um, on a kind of training thing run by Worship Central over at Gas Street in Birmingham, um, designed for 150 worship pastors and leaders to come and kind of be refreshed and equipped. And... Um, I went on this thing, like, all on my own, which, if you know me, that's, like, very unlike me. I don't like that kind of social awkwardness. And, like, first evening, I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Like, being the person in the corner that doesn't know anyone. And um, so I went away on this week. And in all honesty, as it was happening, I didn't really kind of realize the benefits of it. I was just like, this is great. I'm just getting to worship Jesus loads and kind of hear lots of good teaching, like, cracking. Um, and it was only when I came home that I had this moment where I think for the first time in my life, I, I missed being in the presence of Jesus because I had so intensely been with him for five days, like for hours and hours on end every single day. I'd be in a place of worship, engaging with him, talking to him, praying with him. And so I remember coming back on that Friday and just having this weird sensation of like, why do I feel funny? And like, oh, 
I think it's because today I've not been with Jesus. And so I was like, well, let's go and, and do that then. And um, I just think it was during that week that I actually felt really lonely. I felt quite exposed. And from that kind of quite vulnerable place, I think Jesus just met with me in a way that I'd never really experienced before. So that Friday, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go and try and meet with Jesus. So I went into my study at home and... Um, I was like, maybe I can try and recreate as much of Gas Street as I can in this little room. So I, like, I kind of like dimmed the lights a little bit, put on some like atmospheric pads. And um, I just kind of started praying. And basically, I opened with just like, Jesus, I've, I really missed you. Like, I missed you today. Like, it's nice to be back. And um, then just went for like the next kind of hour and a half, just singing worshipping, doing it all in ways that felt unique to me. Like I, I got instruments out and kind of played along to stuff. And I just had the genuinely best time with Jesus. And that has changed everything for me since. Because when I had a taste for like what it is to, to miss him, I, I know now what it is to, to like desire and to want him more. And um, so since then, almost on a daily basis, I've been spending longer with him than I have ever done before. And I have had kind of different routines at different points in my life. But now I'm in a place where it's not because I know routine's good. It's not because I know I should have disciplines. It's not because I know I should tick these things off. It's just because I want to be with Jesus. And it's become much more about spending time with a person than it has become like a devotional life or a quiet time or whatever else you might call it. And um, hilariously, I was ch chatting about this um, with the interns this week about how I now open that time in the mornings. And um, I try and force myself to be as conversational as possible with him so it feels like I'm talking to a person. So the first thing I say every morning is like, how are you, Jesus? How was your night? Like, how, how was it sustaining creation? Like, what, <laughs> what's that been like? And then I pause and I just kind of wait and and I genuinely think I hear a response. I don't know quite where that's coming, but I feel like he says, like, yeah, it's good. I'm good. I'm so pleased you're here. Should we hang out? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And, like, that's how I start. And then I try and talk and I try and have conversation because he's a real person. And, like, I know that the, the discipline of kind of spending time in prayer and in the, in the scriptures is really healthy and it's good to desire that. And I've been through that. But, but he is a person and, and it's spending time with him that is the one thing, as kind of we've been hearing tonight. And all I want now for me, for you, even if I've never met you, I just want you to know him more. And I want us to do this, to go deeper with him and have that relationship in a way that you've never felt before, in a way as a church that we've never experienced before as well. Because um, I'm feeling that for myself and it's, it's the best time in my life that I've had with him. So I'm very excited about this week. I'm very excited for tonight and what even the next kind of 20 minutes will hold. So that's a bit of my story. I'm going to hand back over to John. Isn't that great? What God's doing amongst us and kind of what's feeding into this week. Um, but what is even better is that the only way that we can be like Chris or in this story like Mary when we are commonly like Martha is because Jesus has taken our Martha heart on himself. He's done all the work, hasn't he? He's, he's made all the preparation. He has readied a meal for us to come as his followers because on the cross, he took that orphan heart. He took that self-reliance. He took that striving and he gave us a new heart. He gave us the Holy Spirit 
testifying with our spirit that we're children of God. And just as in the story, Jesus came into that house as I prayed earlier. It was a special moment for them to be with Jesus. So also for us this week, starting tonight, this is a a moment for us as a church. A time set aside, home groups cancelled, ministry meetings cancelled, that we might go deeper with Jesus. And I want to encourage you with all my heart to engage with this as as much as you can. Be, Be here whenever you can. And let's go deeper with Jesus. Let's see what he does in and through us. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand together? If the band could come up onto stage. Um.